So, we do have the annual meeting today. I uh, hope you guys stick around for it. Anyone can come, whether you're a member or not, although you can't vote if you're not a member, but uh, still love to have you there. It is customary, expected at the annual meeting for me as the lead pastor to say some things regarding where I hope to lead us, right? And as I thought about that, prayed about that, I do have a conclusion, and I thought, you know what? Let's just go ahead and share it with the whole church. Should, you should still come to the annual meeting because there's other things. <laughs> but I understand where I want to lead us, and I can say with full confidence that it is from the Lord because I didn't get it from my own imagination. I didn't get it through uh, anything other than, well, it's, it's here in the Bible where I want to lead us. And not only that, not only is it in the Bible, it occurred to me that this, uh, this desire that I have for us, that is certainly from God because it's his word, it's the very last thing Jesus said before he left, before he ascended to heaven, after he rose from the dead. It's the very last thing, the very last words as recorded by Luke in the book of Acts. So, it is fitting, isn't it? What are we doing? I mean, there's a lot of things we should focus on. There's a lot of things we should desire. Yeah. But it would make sense that we should give special priority to the very last thing Jesus told us before he left. If you don't know what that is, I'll put it on the screen. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. If I have to put first what my hope is, desire, where I would like to lead us as a church, it is to the fulfillment of what Jesus said right here. Sometimes you'll hear me use the word revival, and that's a word that really needs to be unpacked. But that's what this is referring to. That is the... That's the expectation, isn't it? That's the expectation. Dare I say, that's the promise. That's what Jesus said we can expect. Power to come upon us. Just a little pause, I suppose I should perhaps answer a question. Someone might read this and think, well, this isn't really for today. Sometimes you hear people say stuff like that, so I just feel like I'll go ahead and, and explain why this is very much for today. Sometimes people think that this was really just something for the very early church, 
where the very early church had great power in its midst, and you can read about that in the book of Acts. They certainly did. And some people think that this promise for power to be upon us, power to be witnesses, is only for them. And we can really see quite plainly that Jesus is talking to more than just his 12. And it's found in, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to receive power, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Those 12, they never made it to Montreal, did they? The ends of the earth is here. The ends of the earth is, is us. My great hope for us is that the world will hear. Montreal will hear. There will be power upon us, and people will know who God is. They will know his character. They will know his power and goodness and his truth through us. That is my great hope for us, and it's in accordance with his word. And Jesus said, whatever you ask according to my will, whatever you ask according to my heart, whatever you ask according to my desires, over and over and over and over, he said, I'll give that to you. And so this is, this is my hope. This is this is." This. This is my prayer for us, that we would receive power and it would be known that we are his people, his witnesses, which of course begs a question, which is the next question, which is the obvious question, right? How do you get there? Right? How do you get there? If the great promise is that we would receive power and the world would know that we're his people, how do we get there? We're actually going to answer that question with a little bit of a story as we continue our as we continue our series in the book of John. We're going to answer it with a story because there is a fellow that you could say stands out in a way. At least in today's conversation, we're going to see how he stands out. Because you keep reading the book of Acts. I just quoted Acts chapter 1-8. It's the next chapter. Great power falls upon this individual. Great power. I'm talking about Peter, by the way. Simon Peter. Great power falls upon him. So much so, he's able to speak truth with such conviction and boldness and, dare I say, uh, Holy Spirit anointing so that the people hear him and they recognize this isn't just a speech. This isn't just a sermon. These are the words of God. And on the spot, 3,000 people are converted. 3,000 people give their hearts to the Lord. One message. That's, that's an example. That's that's one of many examples of Acts 1-8 being fulfilled. Great power falling upon the church. So how do we get there? How do we get there? Peter did it. Okay. How do we do it? And we're going to learn today a little bit about this fellow Peter. Because as I understand it, there is a, there's a posture. There's an attitude 
There's a, a, a way that the church can present herself. There's a way that the church can walk. We, Christians, there is a way that we can live that will quench this, that will stop this, that will cease this, that will prevent great power from falling upon us and allowing us to be his representatives. There is something that will keep it from happening, and it's really, really easy to fall into that. It's our nature, in fact. And then, there is another way to live, to hold oneself, a, a posture, in a heart attitude. There is another way to walk which opens the doors for God's spirit to live through us with power that we may be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and, and here, Montreal. Um, I'm going to pray, and we're going to dive into this little journey with our friend Peter and help us understand what is the wrong attitude and what is, what is the attitude that unlocks revival. Father God, you have said that whatever we ask according to your will, according to your heart, according to your name, you shall give us. And so I can ask this with great confidence that you will certainly give what I ask. I ask that your word, the heart behind your word, would be made known to us today. We know that's according to your word, Lord. I would ask that you would give me the words that would help bring forth what you have spoken in Acts chapter 1-8 pouring out your spirit so that we would receive power and be your witnesses. You want your name to be hallowed. I want your name to be hallowed. We want that together, Lord. We're in agreement. You said you give us what we ask in your name. We ask that for your name to be hallowed, not only today, but through the hearts of your people as we go out into our places of life. And just use my words to that end. Let your great truth be made known. Um, work in our hearts. In your name, amen. Okay. I have a question. J'ai une question. Did he think I forgot? Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, vous pensez que... J'avais uh, oublié de parler français avec vous. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, uh, but I have a question. I have a question. Uh, very often, uh, très souvent, I tell you, uh, je vous dis, uh, that if you want to be a Christian, Si vous voulez être un Christian, you have to be a missionary. Vous devez être un missionnaire. So, alors, here is my question. Ici, uh, ma question pour vous, for you. That's as far as my French is going to go today. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Thank you, by the way. Thank, thank you for allowing me to speak French because of the words that I say to you on Sunday get more sunk into my own mind, and I, I, uh, I appreciate that. And if you don't know, part of the reason why I do that is not just to practice my own French or to show off or anything. 
it's because uh, although we are primarily an English-speaking church, as I'm giving a sermon in English, uh, we recognize we're in a, a multicultural community where French is uh, the main language of Quebec. And uh, some people, there's tensions there, and that's not our desire whatsoever. Um, part of it is, is intentional to show that we're, we really want to be a place where everyone feels welcome and valued and respected. So anyways, I do have a question, and like I said, um, this is the question. If you want to be a Christian, you have to be a missionary. Being a missionary can be scary, right? Right? Being a missionary can be scary. There's lots of reasons why being recognized as a Christian, um, it's, it's scary. People will reject you, and, and people might not like you. People misunderstand what it really means to be a Christian because some people have given Christianity a bad name. Regardless, uh, we have this expectation that we would be a missionary. And if I could say kind of a, a hard word, I mean, what did Jesus say? Um, if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. And if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. That's Matthew 10, Luke 12, I believe. It's, it's in the part of his words, kind of hard words, like there's this expectation that if you want to follow him, you have to be willing to be a missionary. So, you know, my question, um, can you do it? Uh, do you have what it takes? Pouvez-vous le faire? Can you do it? And It's very easy to hear fall into a little bit of a trap. A little bit of a, well, when I say, can you do it? I suspect that there are more than a few people who are thinking to themselves, you know what? I think I can. It's going to be hard. Like, I know living as a Christian is hard. I know that being a missionary is hard but I'm dedicated, I think I can do it. And that sounds like the answer that God might be looking for. But it's at the least incomplete, if not completely wrong. Um, and to help you understand what I'm getting at, we're going to jump into this story regarding our friend Peter. So, um, John chapter 13, beginning in verse 31, it says, When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked them, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. 
Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Okay, a number of things going on here. Jesus saying, uh, in the beginning, now the Son of Man is glorified. What he had been saying so far to the disciples is, my time has not yet come, my time has not yet come, my time is not yet. And now there's a change. Now he's saying, now is the time. And when he says, my time, now is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified, what he's talking about is the cross, um, his, his death, his, his laying down of his own life, his giving himself for sinners. The love of God is seen on the cross. The, the righteousness of God is revealed at the cross. A God who is holy, a God who is just, and a God who gives his life for sinners. Now is the time for him to be glorified. And he says, I'm leaving. You're going to look for me. Um, just as I told the Jews where I'm going now, you can't come. Later he says, I'm going to come and get you. But right now, right now I'm going to leave. You're going to want to be with me, but you can't come right now where I am. And then he gives a command that might seem like a change of topic, but it isn't. Then he says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. He says this right after. He says, you're going to look for me and you can't come. He says, love one another. And what he's getting at, what you can see is, if you want to still experience me as you long for me, this is how you will experience me here. Love one another. And in the Bible, when you see this one another, what that is talking about, the church. Christians, I hope you know, this is, should be obvious, that we are called to love all people. We're even called to love our enemies. We're called to love people in the church, outside of the church. Yes, 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 definitely. But this specific command is talking about love within the church, love one another, for this is how we first will experience God. We will experience him. We will experience Jesus. And this is why Jesus said, this is how the whole world will know that you're my disciples, the way that you love one another. Um, the way that we love one another is a supernatural love. And when I speak of the Holy Spirit coming on us with power, I am speaking of great, wondrous, miraculous things, you know, where people say, wow, that sort of thing. But I'm also talking about this, a supernatural love that marks the church, a oneness, as the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are one, so we, the church, would experience a, a oneness. Can I even use the word a mystical oneness. A oneness would be experienced. Um, and the world would know that this is otherworldly. This is supernatural. But once more, we're talking about today about a posture that opens the door for all of that and also a posture that closes the door for all of that. And, um, well, enter our friend Peter. Peter says, okay, uh, Peter didn't hear the stuff about love one another. Peter is just like, go back. Go back to where you said you're leaving. Um, uh, why can't I come? Jesus says, I'll, I'll come and get you later, but right now you can't come. 
vous ne pouvez pas venir. You can't come. You can't come. And this idea you can't come is a little more than just like it's impossible for you. It's kind of you don't have what it takes to go where I am going. You can't come. You don't have it. And Peter seems to say, no, no, I, I, I do have it. I can do it. This is that attitude. This is, this is why I asked you this question in the beginning, where you think that God is looking for you to say, I can do it. I, I can do it, Lord. I can do it. That's what Peter's saying right here. I can do it. I can do it. I'll, I'll, I'll lay down my life for you, he says. And that's funny. That's, that's irony. Okay, and Jesus, <laughs> Jesus says to Peter, will you really lay down your life for me? It's kind of like, a, oh, really? <laughs> I don't know if you, you see the irony in this. Peter says to Jesus, I am going to lay down my life for you. Are you seeing the irony? I am going to lay down my life for you. For That's what this is all about, right? That's what this whole relationship is. I lay down my life for you. Wrong. Big time wrong. That is the great mistake of man-centered, empty religion, is thinking that first, we're God's servants. First, it's about us and our deeds. That's the great mistake that people make. My brother, not a believer at this point. Um, not that long ago, we were talking about all of this. And he said to me what people often say, that the way that he sees it, all religions are the same, trying to do the same things. And I will grant him that all religions, or most of them at least, have some things in common. Pretty sure most religions are going to advocate you doing good things in the sense of treating people kind, with respect, loving people. I would imagine most religions are advocate, advocating love. I would imagine that's, that's my understanding. But... There's a radical difference in the essence, in the essence, in the posture of the Christian before God. We're not first and foremost servants of God. What did we talk about last week? Basil walked us through what Jesus did earlier, where Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. And the idea is, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve First and foremost, and this has to be the truth on our hearts, first and foremost, and this is the truth that is very hard for us to understand and even easier for us to forget. It is this truth. First and foremost, he's our savior. He lays down his life for us. That's the foundation. Right now, Peter isn't thinking in those terms. Peter's thinking... What you need from me, what you want from me, is to stand up and use my strength. And Jesus, 
says, uh, Peter, is you really going to lay down your life for me? Let's be fair to Peter for a second. Is Peter lying? Peter is anything if not sincere, okay? Peter is, he means it with every fiber of his being. The problem with Peter is that he's living in denial. But Jesus in his goodness has a plan to help Peter see the truth. So, Jesus says to Peter, for the rooster crows, meaning before tomorrow begins, you're going to disown me three times. Okay, fast forward. Jesus is arrested, um, and the disciples scatter. But uh, they start to follow from a distance, and well, um, that's where we're going to pick up in uh, John chapter 18. We're jumping ahead. John chapter 18, beginning verse 15. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus because this disciple was known to the high priest. He went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside of the door. The other disciple who was known to the high priest came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You are one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Okay, a little thing that we're going to come back to later. Um, in verse 18, it makes a point of saying that they were standing around a fire. Uh, the Hebrew is a little, or the Greek is a little more specific. The word for fire means charcoal fire. That's there for a purpose, and you'll see later, okay? Um, just, you can just forget about it for now, though. Um, so here they are before this charcoal fire, and there is a servant girl. And she says, essentially, didn't I see you with Jesus before? And Peter, the I will lay down my life for you, Peter, says... I don't, I don't, Jesus, I don't know who Jesus is. So, right now, this mention, this specific mention of it being a servant girl is trying to make a point. Right now, Peter's life isn't threatened. Right now, there's nothing scary going on. This is a servant girl. But nevertheless, Peter doesn't want to admit that he's a disciple of Jesus. What's going on here? Friends, I suppose I'll confess to you uh, the way that God helped me understand this, and it's a little humbling. So Wednesday night, we have our young adult group uh, that I lead, and uh, I was getting in my car Wednesday, leaving the office here, and there was this young woman walking through the parking lot, uh, looked to be probably about 20 years old, just strolling through as she's having a smoke, 
And um, I thought to myself, I should, go, I should go run over there and invite her to our young adult group at my house tonight. And I didn't do it. Why didn't I do it? I don't know anything about her. Maybe she's going home to like a super sad and empty life. Maybe, maybe she would love an invitation. Maybe it would totally change her life. Maybe a joy that she has never known she would discover. Maybe a family that she doesn't have she would find. Why didn't I invite her? She wasn't scary. There was nothing scary about her. Why didn't I run over there and invite her? And it's really clear. For whatever reason, I was just afraid of looking stupid. I thought, well, who's this guy that's like running over to talk to me? What, why, would, why would I want to do that? Like this fear, this fear. And so I didn't do it, and I just realized that's, that's all it was. That's all Peter did. And this is natural, unfortunately. It's like one of the greatest fears that people have is public speaking, which, which is really not any sort of physical danger at all, but it's just the idea of looking stupid. This deep, deep fear we have. Um, well, that's what happened with our friend Peter. Um... Well, let's keep reading. Because then, you know, some verses later it happens again. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, You aren't one of the disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. So three times, uh, Peter denied it, and um, just like Jesus said he would. But there's something also here that is begging a question. Um, it makes a, a point that one of the people that Jesus, or that Peter is denying, uh, denying uh, Jesus to is a relative of the man who Peter uh, cut his ear off. So earlier, remember, Peter was like, I'll die for you, Jesus. I'll lay down my life for you. And then when Jesus is getting arrested, Peter, true to his word, brave Peter, pulls out a sword. He's ready to go to war. Jesus rebukes him. He takes the ear off the ground and he puts the ear back on the servant. Jesus says, that's not how we're going to do this. It's not the way of glory. Um, and... Uh, why is that brought up here? It's supposed to make you ask a question. Peter, what happened to your courage? Right? It was, it was just like a page ago. You're ready to fight. You're picking up a sword and you're ready to fight. And now you're afraid of, you're afraid of a, a servant girl. You're afraid to say that you're a disciple of Jesus. Peter, what's changed? Uh, Peter, was, Peter was ready to fight. And here's something that I've discovered. 
there's a kind of fighting. There's a kind of fighting that our flesh, as in our human abilities, as in our fallen human abilities, is able and often willing to do. But it's not the laying down of our life that Jesus has called us to. There is a, a, there is a, a posture, and sometimes I see a certain style or flavor of Christianity promoting this. There is a, a style of doing religion that is a drawing of the sword, stand up for your right, and it's, it's stirring up this sort of fighting spirit within people. And sometimes you can really fill a room, okay? Pastors can really fill a room and stir excitement and get everyone excited with this kind of zeal. But that's not the way of glory. The way of glory is to walk in love, to love your enemies, to pick up the ear of the one who's persecuting you and putting it back on their face. To love your enemies with humility, with gentleness. When you're rejected, to not respond with scorn, not respond with how dare they, I deserve better. But to respond with gentle love, that's the way he's called us to. And Peter seemed to see that way. And it wasn't for him. Not right now, anyways. Um, so now Peter's like, I don't, I don't know, I don't know who, I don't know who Jesus is. Um, well, later, um, Jesus is of course crucified. He dies for sinners like Peter, like sinners like myself. People who don't have the courage sometimes when we need to have the courage. People who fall short. People who don't go and invite that girl that maybe needs Jesus just because I'm afraid of looking stupid. People who fall. Uh, Jesus dies for sinners and our debt is paid for all who would believe in him. And that's, that's the gospel. You can be accepted. You can be forgiven. He laid down our life for us. He did that. Then he rose from the dead. And death is defeated. Death is conquered for all who would believe in him. Death can never touch us or hurt us. Well, um, then Jesus goes, the risen Jesus goes and he finds his disciples. And he finds his old pal Peter. And, um, and it's a certain morning the disciples uh, had just gotten done fishing early in the morning. And if you read, actually, um, John chapter 21, we're going to see a portion of it. But earlier in John chapter 21, there's that same Greek word because the disciples, when they, when they get back from fishing, they make a charcoal fire. It's early in the morning, and they're sitting around a warm charcoal fire, and it's supposed to bring you back. Okay, it's supposed to bring you back to the last time there's a, a charcoal fire. And so anyways, that's what we'll pick it up in John chapter 21, verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, 
Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter's hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He, saw, he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Hold on a second. Pause right there. Uh, so three times Jesus asked Peter before this charcoal fire, do you love me? Why three times before the charcoal fire? What is Jesus doing here? It's, it's very clear. Jesus is bringing Peter back to what happened. And that can be painful. Jesus, why do you have to do that? I'm sure Peter already feels bad about that. You don't need to bring that up, do you? But Jesus, in his goodness, is trying to help Peter. Peter, it's going to be uncomfortable, but there's something I need you to look at. Peter, do you love me more than these? Meaning, do you love me more than these other people? Because that's something you see in one of the other gospel accounts. That's what, what Peter is saying. Peter says, Jesus, maybe all these other people will leave you, but I'll lay down my life for you. My love is, is great. And so Jesus is saying, is your love really that impressive, Peter? Do you, do you really love me with a really impressive love? Do you love me more than they do? And notice Peter doesn't answer the question. Peter just says, I love you. You can imagine with his head down. Peter, do you love me more than they do? I love you. And Jesus asks him three times. And here's the point that Peter needs to see. Peter, your love for me is not that impressive. Your devotion, your religiosity, your virtue it's time to sit down, Peter, and it's time to be honest with ourselves. It's time to realize that your cup is empty. You need to know that your cup is empty before you can walk in a way in which he will fill it. Up until this point, Peter didn't realize his cup was empty. He wasn't coming before God. He wasn't coming before Jesus saying, fill my cup. He was coming thinking that he had something to share with others, something that he could give. Friends, I cannot tell you this enough. My weekly struggle. It happened again this week. It happens all the time. It's Monday. The annual meeting is coming. These people are expecting me to lead them with some sort of vision from you or some sort of passion or zeal. I don't feel any passion. I don't feel any zeal. Lord, I don't feel any. Right now, I just want to go home and watch TV or play video games. And I'm supposed to have something to share with others. I'm supposed to have something to lead others with. My heart before God is, Lord, I am an empty 
but will you fill this empty cup? And beloved, this is what I've experienced time and time and time again. This is the attitude that God blesses. This is the cup that the Holy Spirit fills. This is what we need to be as a church. Empty cups. Willing to say, Lord, I need you. I'm a sinner. I need you. Lord, I love you, but I'll be honest with myself. My love isn't that impressive. As the scriptures say, this is love. Not that we loved God. That's not the foundation. It's that he loved us and sent his son to be the payment of our sins. This is love. And from this, from this posture, the Holy Spirit is given. And, and, and people like Peter, they receive power. Peter the fearful receives power. And that's what Jesus says. We pick it up in verse 18. Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went to where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter, that courageous person who was willing to lay down his life for me, you're going to be that person. But first, I needed to bring you back here to this charcoal fire to show you who you are without me. Because this, this, knowing this, understanding this, is truly the secret to receiving power, knowing that we don't have it. The secret to loving God is confessing that we don't. That's how we can come to him as Savior. I had this sermon, and I felt like there was something that was missing. And uh, it was like midnight on Thursday night. I got a text from Barb, the leader of our prayer team. And it was just, this is what I'm hearing, is what she said. She said, this is what I'm hearing. And she shared a verse with me. Galatians chapter 3, verse 5. So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you? by the works of the law, or by your believing what you heard. As in, this is, this, is, this is it. The great power, the power to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and Montreal, how does it come to us? Does it come to us if we're dedicated enough? Like, like maybe if we spend three weeks fasting. Maybe if we do this or that or this or that, then he'll give us his spirit and we'll be known as his witnesses. But that's not how the spirit is given. It began as a gift and it continues as a gift. We believe the message. He's a great savior. We're sinners. He loves us. So we stand. We stand with, with, with arms open. This is what we did at our last leadership meeting. As we, we, we stood with, with, with arms open with this posture of receiving. And that's my great hope for us.
not only this coming year, but the days moving forward. My vision is not really about the things that we're going to do, although there are things I hope we do. Uh, my heart, my vision is the heart posture in which we will stand, not as people with anything to give, but simply as children who are looking to our Father to give us. This will be a year of receiving. That's my hope. Uh, I'm going to close this in prayer. Father God, let us stand before you as empty cups. Empty cups, Lord, who believe in your love, believe in your goodness, believe that we're empty and broken on our own, but believing that you, in accordance with your word, in accordance with your heart, in accordance with your character, you are willing to fill us with everything we're lacking and more. And that the people will hear, the people will know that you are good, you are God, and we are your people. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, we are entering our time of question and answer, question and response. So if you have questions about what Charlie just spoke about and you want to explore a little bit more, um, now is the time. If you're in the room, you can raise your hand and we have a mic coming around. And if you are watching from home, you can uh, text the number on the screen with your question and I'll receive that. And we'll go from here. We have a question right over here. Um, thank you for the beautiful message. Um, the message resonated with me uh, deeply and Based on my reality right now, I'm fortunate enough to be here in the midst of these beautiful people, but we have people right now in Nigeria, in all over, in other parts of the world who need to defend their Christianity by fighting we have news happening right now where Christians are need to go to church with weapons to defend themselves. How do we bring this message down to them? That's my question. So the question is, uh, in light of Jesus saying things like those who live by the sword will die by the sword and, you know, turn the other cheek, um, what about situations where there is war and Christians are, have to come to church armed to defend themselves? That's a good question. And I'll admit, I don't have firsthand experience with this. So I probably am not the best person to give a, a good answer. But what I will say is, when Jesus speaks about things like turn the other cheek, first and foremost, I see a heart posture and a heart attitude that we must walk with. Um, a heart attitude that says, 
that, that, that doesn't say, like, how dare people trample on my rights? I need to go and stand up for myself and fight for my right. As in, it's not an offensive. Christians must never take the offense. Um, now, defending yourself if you're attacked. To be honest, that's something that I, I feel like uh, uh, I don't think that's, that's exactly what is being, um, I, I don't think it, that is, is being prohibited against. I think uh, Jesus is talking more about a hard attitude. And uh, I think there's probably more to say on this topic. Um, now that the summer is over, we are going to be picking up again on our podcasts. I feel like uh, to give a, a fair answer to that question, I feel like I myself need a little more time to think about that um, because it is a really good question. And um, fortunately, it's not a question that I need to ask myself daily as uh, there are not people who are, who are threatening violence against my family so, so thank you for the question. I will give it more thought. We have a question over here. And as uh, we do that, I'm just going to remind us all of why the children are coming back into the service. Any minute now, you're going to see a, uh, a thing on the, the screen that says, parents of kindergarten to grade four, please go pick up your kids. And that's because we really value kids as part of the body of Christ. They're not just people we wait till they're grown. Um, and so it's going to maybe be noisy in here, and that's okay. We encourage parents to have conversations with their kids in the moment about what they're seeing in church, and we want them to witness what happens in this as this body of Christ worships. So um, that's, that's why we do that. And if you have any questions, you can email Charlie or I. Um, we, we're, we feel really strongly about that. And one more, the children don't need to sit. They can, during the music, they can dance up here. I w would love that. So... Yeah, if, they're, if they're squirrely, come on up. That's how God made them, so don't try to... <laughs> Grown-ups can too, by the way. Grown-ups can dance up here also. If you're squirrely, come to the front. Yes, yes. <laughs> All right, so we had a question over here, and um, well, just before that one is asked, I'm going to ask one from online. It says, can you explain how we're not servants, uh, we're not God's servants? I thought to be called missionaries throughout our daily lives is a form of servanthood. Great question, great question. I could have come back to that. Of course we're God's servants. But first, in our hearts, there's a greater foundation, a greater identity we must have. Our first identity is people who have been saved. He served us. The power with which we serve comes from knowing that he loves us and he saved us. And that needs to be bigger in our heart. Uh, so hopefully uh, that's clear. bring it home in Canada for us to think about it because he's right there is a lot of uh, um, let's say resistance and um, attack on Christians even here in Canada um, last summer there was a church burned down a Filipino church burned down in Edmonton which is around the whole issues around the mass grave news and also in BC there were churches that were having to defend themselves here in Canada 
to keep their doors locked from protesters coming into church to disrupt the services. So I, I, I think that that's something you can think about, but it would be nice for us to hear as Christians how to be, uh, to defend the faith, but also to do it out of love so that they, whoever that's wanting to um, either uh, attack the faith can also from there see the love of Christ in it. And how do we do that in a way where we're not coming out also looking like we're attacking them in the process? Good question. Once more, when it comes to like physical violence and how it might be wise in some circumstances for Christians to be armed, um, that's a, a longer discussion. And I certainly am not going to say that Christians should never um, defend themselves physically or things like that. But there's a heart posture again. What does it say? Bless and do not curse. Bless and do not curse. Sometimes with the dialogue that comes forth when we feel like we're being attacked, and sometimes those attacks are real, sometimes they might just be perceived, sometimes there is a, a, a temptation that can stir up in us that is basically cursing. It's darn you, you know, and that is something that we cannot walk in. It's not the path of glory. That's where Jesus, like, now is the time. The whole time that Jesus was on earth, his disciples were expecting him to go to Jerusalem and overthrow the impressors with a mighty hand and make them pay for their crimes. And instead, Jesus gave his life in love, and he laid it down for them, for, 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 for all of us. And so this is a heart posture that must come through. Whether there might be times uh, where we might have to defend ourselves physically. Yes, I grant that. However, in everything, there must be a heart posture that says, you're not my enemy. I bless you. I don't curse you. Um, that needs to come through louder. Louder. Um, I feel like than any conversations of how do we defend ourselves? All right, here's a really good question. Why was it so bad to deny knowing Jesus when his life was in danger? He could have just lied to the soldiers and then keep living longer so he could do more ministry. Such a good question. It's a good question. Okay. Uh, I kind of knew that one was coming. That's why I laughed. Uh, okay. So the question is basically like, if you're going to think pragmatically about it, okay? If we're going to think pragmatically for a moment, hey, um, if you're like killed for your faith, well, uh, then you can't really be serving God and, and, and you know, uh, doing ministry. So a better way pragmatically to like bring forth the best stuff for God might be to just in this occasion say, no, I don't know Jesus save your life, and then move on. But here's the misunderstanding. What did Jesus say before he went to the cross? Now is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified. And if God is calling you to that, to martyrdom, to die, to suffer, what did the disciples do? Acts chapter 4, I believe. Um, they're beaten. They're beaten for their faith. And they rejoice that they're counted worthy to suffer for his name. 
meaning they understand this is glory. This is following the steps of Jesus. This is glory. What do they say? What do they say? The, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Meaning, meaning if we're thinking pragmatically and we want to see fruit for God, we want to see ministry, we want to see lives changed, suffering for his name, dying for his name, has a way of shining a very bright light for people to see. So pragmatically, allowing yourself to be persecuted historically has shown to be a great way to do great things for the kingdom of God. And once more, this is the path to glory, for this is, for this is what we've been called to. Um, Peter said that. Uh, Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4, he, he learned this. Um, uh, he learned this lesson. Uh, um, let none of you suffer as a, you know, as a thief or, or a murderer, but if anyone suffers because they bear the name Christian, you're blessed. This is, this is blessing. What advice do you give for those who are tempted to um, not listen to the Holy Spirit when they're feeling prompted to invite someone to church, for example, or to share about their faith, to put themselves out there as a Christian, what advice do you have for those of us who are hesitant to do that? Yeah, well, like I say, I shared the story. I kind of failed on that this week, right? You know, and uh, confess that to God and ask for courage. Once more, acknowledging that you're an empty cup, acknowledging that your courage is kind of weak, rather than like, kind of like, hey, Toughen up, okay? Just get out there and do it. Be strong. Like, that's not what I'm saying here. So you go to God and you say, Lord, let's be honest. Sometimes my devotion is pretty lacking. But can you give me what I'm lacking? Um, go to him and, and confess that to him. And, and then, then it's his spirit working in us. You're welcome. Well, it's, it's a comment more than a question, so I just want to share this with you. It came into the text line. It says, I would just like to say I'm not the girl who was invited, but I was invited, and I am glad that I was invited. I needed that. Therefore, I encourage you to invite and not have fear. Some people need the invitation. So listen and get closer to God and realize that their cup is empty. They need that invitation to do that. Yeah, you know what? That's so true, because, like, the times were, like, that I, this like courage is stirring in me when I can go and, and, and do it, a lot of times it's because of just joy. It's because of just seeing the joy more than feeling the fear. Um, so that's just, that's God's spirit, the spirit of truth. Thanks for that comment, whoever Text said that. that. In. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm just going to pray for us and then we'll continue on. Father, thank you for the fact that you're with us and that you are delighting in each of us and that um, you bless those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness and not just the ones who are righteous. And Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts to desire that more, that you would change our affections for you, that you would change our passions for the people around us that we encounter every day who don't know you. And Lord, I pray that you would give us words, that you would lead us to relationships, to divine appointments where uh, we are able to share the faith Father, I pray that you would, um, in those moments, empower us, that we would feel your presence with us, that we would feel you speaking through us. 
It's not on our strength, it's on your strength. And your strength is, is made perfect in our weakness. And so God, I would pray that you would um, take our weakness. We pray that each person in this room would just lay that before you and then allow the power of your spirit to fill us. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.